This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of His Darker Materials. The show might be done, but we're still going to be talking about it forever. <laughs> I'm Dave. As ever, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Helen O'Hara. Hello, how are you doing? Now, in this episode, what we're going to do is we are going to get into the meat of how you actually create a demon and how a lot of the special effects that you saw in this season were brought to life. We're very privileged to be sat alongside Russell Dodgson, lead uh, visual effects supervisor. Nailed it. Very good. Question mark over your title there because I haven't done my research properly. Series VFX supervisor. <laughs> there you go. Series VFX supervisor. And Brian Fisher, who is just joining us. Uh, and t- Brian, why don't you tell us uh, what your role on the, on the show is? Okay, so my role is varied. However, most of what I do is puppets. So we create everything in the world that you cannot see, which then Russell takes over and his team make look beautiful. Whereas we have simple replications of uh, animals and windows and all these other magical things that we have to tackle. So um, should I just get into how I got on the project? Well, is it safe to say, before we we get into that, is it safe to say then the split between you two guys, if I was to sum this in an absurdly simple uh, way... The only way you know how I... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Is, um, Brian, you're, you're on set and you're responsible for the puppet performance of the demons which will then inform what Russell and, and your team are doing to sort of with the computers you bring it to life on the computers right <laughs> you're, like, you're like my mum <laughs> literally like my mum um, you tap a few things on the keyboard and then a demon comes and then out poof. Yeah, yeah we just press the demon button yeah. we've got one for ferrets and one for thingy I think the truth about the truth is is that at the beginning of the show um, you know this show is so um, sort of creature centric and you know, we're not just making like monsters that chase you around and go grrr. We're making um, extensions of people's souls that have to play alongside primary actors all the way through. And from our side in visual effects, if we do not have something on set that the the, the actors can not just like look at as an eyeline, that's the most primitive thing, but actually like have a relationship and emote to, 
we're, we sh- we can't do our job right because if that side, if you know, if their side isn't working, we can't make our side work. Um, and that's where um, on season one uh, at the beginning there was um, a absolutely brilliant master puppeteer called Todd William Jones. Is it William Todd Jones? William Todd Jones. William Todd Jones, Jones. by Todd. Um, and he um, set up the department at the beginning um, and came up with the method and the kind of the level to which we would build our puppets. And you know, he did all that. And then he is the person that brought on who have the people who have turned out to be completely indispensable. Um, not just to us, but to the cast, people like Brian. Um, and without them, we would have been in a lot of trouble. That's a pretty good summation, isn't it? I, I think it's there? very good. I mean, this is basically what I do on set. I stay quiet. Everyone else talks about me, and I just <laughs> come in and say, yes. And, and be the monkey. And be the monkey, yes. Yes, that is one of my biggest roles on this, yeah. Well, Brian, tell us then the history of your... How did you become the monkey? <clears throat> well, I... Before this project began, I had been writing off to a number of people within it, uh expressing my interest and the fact that I knew that these were massively creature-centric storylines which needed some kind of human interaction. So I was very interested in getting into it and helping give something to that. However, that didn't pan out. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. They're out already. That's been our podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, And uh, I got a call... On a Friday, I was actually out house hunting, which I have not got a house. I wonder why. And um, <laughs> while I was out house hunting, I got a call and uh, said, uh, could you come in tomorrow for 9 a.m. and meet Todd and uh, a few other people? We just want to see if you're right for the project. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I was very, very excited. So I came in and sat around all day waiting for Todd because um, he was off doing all the magical, wonderful things that he did all of season one. Um and eventually he came in and he put down a box in front of me filled with orange foam and sticks, basically. And he said, there you go. There's the monkey. Um, good luck. Uh, by the way, tomorrow you'll be meeting with Tom Hooper and he'll be saying whether or not you're okay to be on. And then after that, if you're okay, um, Ruth Wilson will be in the next day. So it was wow. quite an expedited uh, process with this strange amalgamation of bits and bobs that were spray painted orange in about five seconds. And uh, I found some life within it. Tom was happy. Todd was happy. And then uh, got in a rehearsal room with Ruth and just started pretending like we were monkeys together. Wow, amazing. And she's now she's already talked to us a little bit about that, but it, it sounds like you guys work quite closely t- to make sure that, you know, she was bouncing off what the monkey was doing rather than sort of replicating the same thing. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated process when part of what the, the actor would usually be doing is something that, that you have to take over and, and, and then eventually you, of course, Russell. It is. It's a, it's a delicate process because an actor's process is very personal and so often they are in their own worlds and when they're making decisions, they might make them on their own and then pitch them to other actors and see how those actors work alongside them. Whereas I had to come in and very confidently put across this animal side that could be the animal side of her. Perhaps she's taking on the animal side, which I am then giving her physicalizations. And um, it's a a strange process and, and very... It's just delicate. That's all I can say. I don't want to overstep my boundary and I have to be essentially invisible and all that you want to focus on is this puppet that I have. And... uh, she just welcomed me into a process and it's been absolutely incredible. We talk about everything together, everything down from every thought process, every reason why monkey's not in the shot or uh, why he might be distant or close, that rubber band feeling between you where it's getting stretched and then pulled taut, all, all of those different feelings. We just talk through everything. 
so really it's a, it's an it's an acting performance really you and Ruth are sort of sharing one character in many ways absolutely and i think that's the way it is with every actor and their demon and that's that's what we've tried to do is put one puppet in front of one actor so that uh, that one puppet puppeteered by a single person they can build that relationship mm-hmm. between those two people essentially within themselves so you're ruth wilson's demon in many ways you Brad absolutely Fisher. Absolutely. <laughs> Russell says yes. Yes, no, I, I think. No question. <laughs> yes. No question. Wow. So you have an evil monkey side? Not, uh, not at all. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, that goes into the monkey being evil. You do love to hate him and hate to love him, but is he evil? I, I question mark? Yes. We discussed I five points. Well, well, we have kind of discussed this. I, I, um, I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a nasty little bastard, but he's a... Uh, but you sit, you empathize with him. Yeah. I I felt um, <clears throat> bad for him so many times during the show. The one I, we we talked about this with Ruth, Ruth but the um, there's a, a scene in the second or third episode where um, she's um, she's walking towards the camera and the the monkey is following her and then reaches up to hold her hand and then she just goes bang, like bats it away mm. and that that for me is the moment that tells you everything yeah. mm. that you need to know about her right well and it's those small tiny little details which you find which come out through us just playing off set all the time just playing through ideas and and chucking different things and pitching them to Russ and Russ going uh, let's let's try and steer clear of all of that fur grabbing but perhaps we can do the it. police. Yes. <laughs> is that because you're you're like I don't want to animate it anymore for like that, that's no, that's too difficult. Or I, think, or? I think that you know what's really interesting is that my job is to be across all the demons and kind of like keep an eye on their kind of their overall arc and their performance. Mm-hmm. And what would happen is you'd have directors who would come in and say, "Hey, I want this to happen at the end of that scene," and we'd be like, nah, "Me and Brian would be like, that's not really the thing that would happen," you know. And um and then and it's very rare actually that I think uh, anything that Brian and Ruth have suggested has been something that I've been like no we can't do that normally it's a case of us going like what you know what else what what do I know from a visual effects perspective that I can offer back into the conversation to enhance what they've already come up with right. well and also it's a visual thing because sometimes we get caught up in our own stories in our own world and we build this whole thing which can go and roll and roll and roll and then Russ will go yeah but. That- that doesn't read, so we need to be able to see that relationship or see the lack of relationship. Yeah. It's you want. To, I'm not always as good. I'm just literally stood next to Ruth or actually crouched, crawling, yeah, crawling <laughs> <next> submissively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, can we can we go back a little bit then, uh, way 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 back to the beginning? When was the decision made to um, to do it like this, to, to create the demons with a puppet performance and then to overlay. Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but 2007, Golden Compass was all CG? Yeah, I mean, both, I think they're both, they're, I mean, they're both all CG. Mm. Um, actually, there were some live-action animals in the original one. Um, we didn't have any in ours. Um, but the decision to do it is kind of like the obvious one. It's like you have to look at something and, you, yeah. and they're so important and that there's dialogue scenes that are pages long between people and demons. Yeah. Um, but... In all honesty, the decision was made before me and Brian turned up. Yeah. I mean, Joel Collins, when he came on board, he's one of the you know he's one of the founding fathers of the project. He he pushed for it, and he noticed, and he that's how Todd got involved. So we came in, and and actually that bit of you know legwork had been done for us, and actually it's just, we're just blessed that they picked a great team. Yeah, 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 yeah. big time. And also, there's um, it, it's a shame that you can't see it right now. But if if I had a puppet, it, it you would see it laying on a table, and and you would see all of its component parts. But that's all you see is its component parts. But the second that you put a puppeteer behind it, 
inevitably, everyone has a reaction to it. Everyone has a visceral reaction, whether that be, you know, love because it's cute or, or <laughs> disgust because it looks a bit frightening or, yeah. you know, like the monkey with his weird nose. You know, mm. all of those things, they elicit an immediate response when that puppet comes to life. And then people stop looking at you and they stop interacting with you. They interact with the puppet or they have a feeling about the puppet. It's the same component parts that were on the table, but it has life. And that is what's important. I interviewed Kermit the Frog once. And <laughs> Hi, whole Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, good. And it was, it, you know, we're, we're sitting in a room and, and the, as you say, the puppeteer was, was there. I could see that Kermit the Frog was on his hand and I, I started paying attention to Kermit and not not Steve, sorry. Well, there's a, there's a there's a there's a kind of almost like childhood fascination. I think mm. you know, like it, it makes you go back to that time when, like you know, I always remember like Steven Spielberg saying that the day that you can take, you know, a couple of um, action figures and you get your eye down to the level of them and you're the camera, you're making a movie. Yeah. You know, it's that idea that you can simplify things down and there's like a, there's a beauty in that. Yeah. And watching you know everybody interact with the demons and actually I tell you what that scene that you talked about when the monkey gets his hand slapped away, it's easy to think like, hey, that's a cool moment. But what I mean, one thing that did happen is that, you know, the amount of thought that goes into it and how it slowly builds or helps again, like I, I like to use the word reinforce because that's the point of it, reinforce the character, is that one thing that we all talked about, I mean, it was actually after we um after we wrapped, Ruth came in with Brian to Framestore and we did like a whole thing where we broke down, you know, like looking back into like almost like Ruth's childhood or Mrs. Coulter's childhood and how, why she settled as a monkey. Yeah, like a monkey has got a different thing. I mean, I dug out the the Chinese zodiac, and I was like, it means playful, funny, cute, cheeky, <laughs> yeah. and it's like so something happened that took all these things away. What are those characteristics? Do we want to remove in our animation performance? What do we want to keep? Because mm -hmm. obviously, the animals have got a human presence, or the demons have a human presence, which stops them being animals, which means we want to take away the need to eat or mate, and what the, those behavioural characteristics are. So there's a lot to it. But something like that scene with the hand slapping. The thing that we've worked we worked out is that you know like Ruth Wilson or Mrs. Coulter has separated herself from her demon so much that she's more comfortable away than close because mm -hmm. when her emotions are close or her humanity is close or her soul is close that is when she's at her weakest right. Mm -hmm. We also worked out that she is always prepared. So in that scene, she is ready. That scene is her turning up at the magisterium to go and have a chat with Cardinal Sturrock, Father McPhail, and 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 lay the smackdown right. <laughs> And the thing, and where she gets caught out is when she's on her way walking down some stairs and she hasn't prepared for that. And some guy gives her a snarky remark. And, son, and suddenly the emotions flood in a little bit. And the monkey, which is the emotions, comes to touch and she's like, get away from me. Wow. Right? So that's the, that's the overall meaning of that. Yeah. The control slips for a moment. Yeah. So she doesn't slap the monkey's hand when she's in a room with those guys because she's controlled. She's prepped. She's, she's, she's in her zone, right? But that moment on those stairs is the bit she hasn't prepared for. It's the it's the kind of the mad the mad bits of life that she can't be ready for, and that's the bit she hates. That's what's impressive about this show and what you guys have achieved is I, we just pulled out one example of one tiny moment, and you guys are able to instantly express the collaborative collective thought that has gone into something as small as that, and that's that's what rings true i think on, on this whole thing is the the collaboration right it's 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 jack thorne writes a thing then uh, brian and ruth uh, interpret it in conversation with russell who then brings it to life visually right it's it's a complicated uh, process which yeah. behind that has got 700 people at framestore yeah. also bringing it to life visually <laughs> <laughs> you know all collaborating as well yeah. you know it's um it's beautiful it's a beautiful thing well it's an interesting thing for a puppeteer because so often what we do is we show up and we're just expected to know exactly what we're doing we bring our tools 
we put them on and we leave quietly. We are always invisible. Whereas in this uh, production, we have been welcomed into every conversation you can imagine. This kind of conversation with the actual visual effects, it, it doesn't happen often. So, and, and part of that is because we are working directly with the actor to help create their character. So that needs to be respected. Uh, but the respect that we have been given and gifted from this production from the top straight down means that we are fully incorporated into it. So we can help make those decisions. We can help come up with interesting ideas, which we can then pitch higher. Yeah. And then it goes through all those other animators who all have their input. And it's incredible to have all of that go into one one moment like that. Yeah. And have it land with the intention in the first place, exactly. which I think the thing because it's so easy when you've got so many people working for that to get lost based on opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes, but the art—it seems the art on this show, which hasn't been like really hard work to be honest, it's been very natural because the people have been great. Is that we all get on the same page? I mean, actually, when like Ruth gave me a little Christmas card, and her thing was thank you so much for getting what we were doing on set. Oh, right? right. So right. she's like, we've done stuff on set. Thank you so much for understanding that. And that understanding comes from emails and conversation with Brian and emails with Ruth and us all working yeah. together because we know that we're all just part of the whole. Yeah. That's good. Oh man, the love is strong. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Um, how long ago was, was Monkey's look decided? Uh, we. It's interesting actually. So with the demons, so the demons are always meant to be opposite gender to the mm-hmm. the people that they cohabit with I don't know um, and w- so we were really accurate with that actually across mm. the board um, you know the goshawks are, when it's a female goshawk we had female groom female size female everything the monkey was the exception I'm going to try and not get in trouble on this one um, <laughs> because I accidentally once said uh, to the press uh, that we uh, wanted to avoid a completely male monkey because it's got a massive set of clangers um, <laughs> I didn't say it in those words but then there was like the triple X demon the the BBC didn't want you to see was the headline oh, the next day. Oh. So anyway, it's brilliant. Um, no press is bad press. Um, yeah. The uh, so anyway, so we had so if you look at a, you know, like I always say that there's like a few different types of demon, like mm-hmm. Stelmaria, like um, or Stelmaria Azrael's demon, is very much like a status demon. Like, yeah, for sure. They're not in odd. They're not at odds. Those two. They basically operate in the same way. And he walks in the room and he's like, "I've got a snow leopard. I'm Lord Azrael." What's up? <laughs> you know what I mean, that's that's their thing, right? Um, then uh, Pan is very much like shades of a growing child, right? So the different demons represent different psychological states or emotional states, and we really pick the demons carefully. Um, but then the monkey, Mrs. Coulter, like Ruth talks about this a lot. Mrs. Coulter has got to be like kind of tactile and 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 alluring and beautiful, and you know she always says that it makes kids want to like touch her hair and touch the like the, the materials she's got. If you look at an adult golden monkey, a male one. They're like covered in like quite a dark brown fur. They're they're quite thick. It's very coarse fur. As yeah, well. very coarse fur. They're very thick set. They've got these kind of sort of like slightly aesthetically unpleasing like little skin flaps in the corner of their mouth, plus the clangers. Um, so, um, you know, we had to make a choice. Yeah. So that's the only demon where what we did is we went off book and we um, we thinned it out. We gave it more of a um, more of a female golden monkey's groom. Right. Um, whilst keeping the proportions predominantly of a male but thinning out some of the bulk. It was very much a kind of like, wow. we've got to make the demon that feels like it can sit next to Mrs. Coulter and feel mm. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took some time. And also picking the actual type of monkey because we could do another tamarind, which they did in the film. Yeah. Um, but I just like that monkey more. I when we, you know when we looked at it, we were like, that can give us everything we need facially, and we can and, you know we just thought it could express more. So we wanted that. It, it was weird because I hadn't seen that that 
breed that species of monkey before and and I was a bit oh that's a bit odd looking monkey I, I don't know what's going on there it's a strange design and then of course like literally a week later the adverts for the new David Attenborough BBC Nature documentary come up and there he is front and centre or she is front and centre looking identical to what you created. David Attenborough he's literally the only reason he had to do that show was just to help support ours <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with the world the earth what a guy <laughs> what one takeaway he supported our monkey VFX monkey I mean, on the subject of David Attenborough and nature, um, how much time did you guys spend looking at these animals in real life and how they live and breathe and move? Uh, Well, at the beginning of season one, it was a lot of give and take. So there would be the general general casted demons, general cast animals that we knew we'd kind of be playing with, but we needed to look at size, we looked scale, how we were going to actually put them on set. So we had Loz Whitaker, who was uh, part of our team, and uh, Todd brought him, and he is a uh, animal expert, basically. He, he works predominantly on uh, nature documentaries. And he would, uh, we would give him a new, well, Framestore would give him a new animal, and he would have to come up with basically a fact sheet, kind of a trumps, is that what it's called? Top trumps. Top, top trumps, trumps. yeah. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Str- strength, nine, yes. speed, seven. Wing, wingspan, 11. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, kind of those cards with all the different animals. And then we would take them and we would start scaling them and looking at different sizes and do different sculpts for heads, trying to keep them fairly neutral so that they didn't have too much expression one way or the other. Um, and then we'd build the puppet and bring it up and it was kind of... I mean, they always did a good job. They came and they'd be like, Russell, what do you think? And I'd be like, I think it's great, mate. Go and get on with it. Yeah. The, um, I mean, the thing that's really interesting as well, it's um, it's one of the topics that when we came up, we're having to come up with all the different demons to do. You know, like you have to come up with your cast of demons, right? So, I mean, one 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 thing was that in the book, like Pan is 35 different animals. Mm. And I and this wasn't a money thing. I was like, you need to make it about eight because you've got limited screen time and you've got to fall in love with that character and know the character even in its different forms. Yeah. It's a bit like, imagine if Lyra came out with a mask, 35 different masks. You'd be like, I don't know what's going on. So you had to like cast them and pick what you wanted. And um, and that's a very sort of delicate process. And then and then when you go through that and you're um, and you're then looking at that relative to the real world and what those demons represent and, and all of that stuff, it gets quite, I think you have to get quite deep into it. So these guys would do these amazing sculpts of their, of their, their faces. And what Brian says is that, you know, like they've got a neutral expression. But one of the most fascinating things is the inscrutability of nature right <laughs> and 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 the animals that do and don't fall into the uncanny valley mm-hmm. okay right. so i'm going to i'm going to have to riff on this one a little bit so if you take a cow for example you took a shot of a cow's eye and the voice over went this is a very sad cow <laughs> everyone would be like no oh, the cow <laughs> or you took the same shot of the eye and went this cow is very happy everyone would be like that happy cow right because you just put your emotions onto it right yeah. And there's creatures that can do that with, and there's creatures that you can't. Mm-hmm. So ermines, even the monkey, you can kind of associate behaviours with it quite easily, whether it's through like movement or like weird little affectations or music or just the tone of the scene. Cats and dogs, not so much, because we know them and we've already put all of our emotions onto them. Mm. So if you see a cat not doing what a cat does, you're like, that ain't a cat. That's not a cat. Yeah. But if you see an ermine slightly being off book, you can <laughs> you can sell it because because we haven't yet 
it still it still has an inscrutable quality like you can't quite place what those emotions are so we it gives us the free reign to play with them so you don't get a lot of letters from ermine owners complaining that it's a little, little <laughs> the, the joke has always been that this year it's going to be like a, a, a an ermine is for life not just for christmas campaign because everyone's <laughs> going to buy an ermine and they're going to be like hang on wait a minute they stink and they can't talk <laughs> what the hell? exactly what's what's your favorite pan form then while we're talking about that uh, it's different for me, though, because I, I look at the puppets rather than specifically the... Well, I, I can do both, actually. I would say uh, for season one... Uh, no spoilers, Brian. N- n- no, <laughs> no. For season one, uh, Pine Martin, I think, is my favourite. Mm. Um, I think it just looks incredible. And it's got it's it has the right balance between feeling real and also being personable. It's it, I, I just... I fall in love with it. Although I do like all of them. Mm. Moth. Ooh, I love seeing the moth every now and then. <laughs> um, but then Puppet. Ooh. I do like the little Armin Puppet. We also we also built what we call in cameras, which actually have been in camera once. Um, but they are the most real representation we can make of these animals. And those are absolutely incredible. The, the funny thing is, is that we built that Ermine before we knew what it would actually look like. It'd be totally got it right. And it looks almost exactly like, it looks like we built it afterwards trying to make it look like but I, th- I think we use. A, I think we use the same reference pictures. Yeah, well, oh, right. yeah, obviously. We no, no, but that's, but that, I mean, that's yeah. testament to being able to physically <clears throat> build one. Mm. I actually think the shot where that's used is really cool because that's the one where in episode six, uh, the doctor's holding pan and throws it into the, yeah. into oh, the yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. And when he's carrying it, it's the puppet. And when he throws it, it transitions into the CG one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, it's, cool. it's really cool. I love a takeover. Yeah. My favourite takeover in it is when Lyra gets on the back of the bear. And oh. as she's getting on the back of the bear, when she starts getting on the back of the bear, she's real. And by the time she's on the back of the bear, her whole body's become CG, but while she's moving. Oh, oh mental. cool. So we, like, Secretly. I didn't notice any of this. So you successfully <laughs> achieved what, what you set out to do, job, I guess. Job done. Yeah. Um, but no, but I think it's really interesting that kind of inscrutable nature of the puppets, though. I think, yeah. you know, they do pick expressions that you know, you really, uh, you know, like when they, <laughs> like when Brian gets hold of the monkey and he looks at you, you're like, oh, come on, that's so cute. And then he just does something and you're like, oh, no, that's really <laughs> disturbing. Get away from me. Well, spe- speaking of inscrutability of animals and trying to express emotion, how do you make them them bears? How do you make That's them? my question. How do you make them bears? Them bears. Um, they're really expensive, man. <laughs> yeah. I, we, what's, the, what's the cost per bear? How much? I, I can't tell you I... that. I can tell you that statistically, <laughs> we worked out that to, to make the bears, if one person sat down and did uh, Yorick and Yofa, the two of them, because obviously you make one and then you make a variant of that one to become the other one. You just copy and paste in the computer. Shut up. And then the ar- <laughs> and then the um, the armor and the versions of it when it's a bit bloody and blah blah blah. Seven hundred days. Wow. 700 days one person per sat bear. down it's over like it's like a lot of time yeah. Seven, it's not far off that for the puppets as well yeah. and also they were our most expensive thing as well i mean it's you know elliot and i working on the riding rig that was uh about three months every day we would work on it and we also had rob harrington coming in to working on it God bless to, rob. to work on oh love rob love rob and we, we built this whole process together but that was three months solid working on a single rig while we were filming other things alongside it however if you broke that down it would be i mean, I mean yeah, it would be right up three, for, for three, three months of thought yeah yeah for less than one minute two minutes of screen time the, the thing the thing about the bears is that and and it's the thing about visual effects and then through visual effects the the representation of them on set is you've always got to pick the right tool for the right job so there is no like one bear rig so i mean we i mean we can kind of go through some of the ideas right so you've got like a long dialogue sequence and so you've you've, you've had joe tannenberg on we have 
So um, he was given, as he said before, like a head on a stick, but that stick was cleverly designed so that when it rested on his navel, it was at the right head height for a bear, right? So as long as he kept the physicality about right, we had a head height that was right and, a, and an eye line that was right. Then the reductive version of that was one where you take the head away and it's just a nose and two eyeballs, which just means that like when he's talking to Lyra, Lyra can't end up inside the volume of Yorick, you know, because right. that makes it really hard to do in post. Um, and then, um, but then on top of that, we had um, a another rig that was like a full size, but very kind of low mass version of the bear that you, that could stand up, that would allow the camera to know how tall it would get. Um, then we had what we called the basher bear, which was like the American football style rig, which you could yep. slam into a stuntman. Right. Um, and then what else did we have? Well, we had shoulder bear, which did chuck two stuntmen across yep. across uh, Bolvanger. The bear rig that you talked about, the riding yep, rig. The riding rig. Uh, then in terms of riding rigs, there's a two person riding rig where Elliot and myself, or Todd and Elliot, or Todd and myself, you get the idea. Two people uh, front and back <laughs> with football pads, which have special braces, which we built into it. So we could carry them on our backs going over more rough terrain so we could actually move through space. That was for two people, wasn't it? That was it? two people. You have two then people there was the also a single backpack version. So one person could carry. If you just have one person on your back, you could again go through even more intense terrain, although you have to be very careful. Um, it's the cricket glove, which was for. Oh, in fact, actually, if we go through, so when the um, when the bear attacks the Sisselman, yep. in episode four, um, we had all kinds of stuff for that to get through that scene. So most of it is brilliant because it's just for the bit when it's running through town, mm-hmm. it's just Joe running in a white boiler suit <laughs> and us just following him, and then people screaming. <laughs> it's like he's been let out the, let out the asylum. I mean, he's a, he's a very tall man. He's a very tall man. He's a very tall man. And um, and then there was like SFX going off around him, but it's just a dude in a white suit. And then um, and then my favourite shot is the Monty Python shot, as I call it, which is when the bear like runs and slams through the door of the um, church because that was just uh, this guy um, a wine who is a who was our sort of physical performer for the bear at the time. Who was great, and he um, it's just him running with a bear rig just straight into a door. <laughs> um, and then, and then there was the uh, then there was the um, incredible uh, uh, bear wellies, which were bear feet made out of foam that you just put on and just walk with bear strides yep. so that the camera can follow the bear. And you feet. can leave footprints in the snow. Yeah. Nice. So there was nice. that. There was the couch bear, which is the breathing bear. So yep. we had a bear which Lyra oh, yes, was laying against, laying and against. that's me inside of a rig actually making it breathe for a day. With, with Joe's Ooh. ass, but fine ass, fine ass in <laughs> my face. Yeah, yeah, that's Brian's in there. Yes, when you're watching that scene, Brian's at work inside the bear. Yes, um, and then and then also so also in that scene when he gets um, beaten up, there was the point when he actually gets attacked, mm-hmm. where there was no puppets. It was just a wire attached to the guy's back, and just the stuntman in a grey boiler suit just dragging him around, and we just painted him out and put a bear over the top. Wow. So it's all very like we. I mean, I as a as a supervisor, I kind of there's there's sort of got two ways you can go. You can go like animatronic, which is where you have all these kind of pre-calculated rigs that do very specific things. And I've never been a fan of that because, especially on a TV schedule, you can't get a lot out of it. Hmm. Um, so I, I I prefer the the mantronic or humantronic version, um, which is um, us pre-planning, like the people, like trying to get the people to be as mechanical as possible, but actually loving the eccentricities of what you get from them not being. So even the bear rig when she's riding, that could have been like what we call like a gimbal hmm. that she would sit on and is all pre-programmed. But actually, it was a rig that Brian and Elliot operated. And they just got really good at the rhythm of getting it right and the amount of movement and the amount of vertical movement, horizontal movement and the rhythm. Yeah. Um, and that synced in really well with our animation cycle because they were doing it based off of that. Right. 
Um, and then, but if we wanted to slow it down, we didn't have to go and reprogram something. It's just Brian just slowed down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how much, did... much to my relief, yeah. <laughs> calorie burner. How did you How did you come to the right you know the right rhythm, for example, of the of the bear run? Did you do Was it going to zoos or was it footage from we, documentaries and stuff and bears in the wild? We um we did a um like a film. We filmed a bunch of bears in Canada mm-hmm. in a in a in a zoo, not a zoo like a like a sanctuary, I right? Guess. Um, and then Loz, who um, Brian alluded to, he dug out loads of reference. We also have like, like yeah, like when you do a visual effects company that does animals, you've got a lot of videos of animals. Yeah. Um, and we, um, so we went from that. And what we do is you create a run cycle, which is this the like the initial repetitive run that you could loop forever and it would run forever. Um, and actually, in that case, what we did is, that, I mean, it's I'm going to describe it in a lo-fi way, but we actually did it in quite a lo-fi way. Um, we basically put a digital lyra on the back of the digital run cycle of the bear, and where her basically where her hips were and her crotch was on the back of the bear we put like a digital laser pointer and projected it onto a wall and it just drew the pattern of what her hips were doing which was a bit like an ellipse right yep um or like a figure of eight i guess and then infinity kind of yeah an infinity figure of eight type thing and then um we actually then took a laser pointer (laughs) put it on the bear rig yeah and got a projection of the thing that we filmed in that we made in 3d stuck it on a wall and they matched it wow amazing yeah and, and and but but you get like a human eccentricity to it which is good and we always know from our side that if it doesn't work we can then just make a digital version of lyra which we had we had a digi double but the more you use the real thing the more real it feels yeah um it's always good to have something real in a shot to anchor to Mm. and um yeah these guys did such a good job then i just want to pick up on something you said which i think not everybody understands which is the difference between vfx and sfx so sfx are special effects and And cfx okay (laughs) okay so we should probably just no no effects which is just a band (laughs) (laughs) but sfx are basically like things that happen on set right that's explosions yeah sfx sfx are fire flame air cannons you know that kind of stuff then that that gets linked in obviously with stunts quite quickly yeah um, and then the CFX, which is Creature Effects, which actually Brian's department is called, but also is a department in Visual Effects. As well. Yeah. Um, which is the department that does all the muscle systems and the fur interactions and all that yeah. stuff. Where it gets really confusing is when VFX artists talk about SFX because they sometimes create, you sometimes create fire and stuff like that. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. so it's, it's really awkward. Yeah. Um, the, um, <laughs> I think another thing that's interesting is like the, there's a misconception that I always like to try and sort of debunk, which is how... Um, computers help you make the work really easily. Right? It's like everybody, like every interview I do, it's kind of like, so how have computers helped you to deliver such stunning work over the years? And it's just like, you know, the appetite for visual effects is consistently outweighed the progression of the computer. Yeah. You know, the appetite for it. And since the beginning to now, visual effects are achieved by brilliant artists and brilliant technical artists getting visuals out despite the limitations of the computers we have now. Right. The computer is the paintbrush. Yeah, basically. the computer. The computer. The computer is the paintbrush. But for example, with a bird, slightly technical thing. With a bird, you've got a bird and it has feathers that actually coexist on the same depth because they're so fine that when the wings come together, they sort of mush together. You try and tell a computer that understands zero and one that something is both, <laughs> that something exists in the same space, and you've got all these feathers that pop around. So everything is always like this very manual thing. So like Yorick, we have like you know, a guy builds the skeletons, and then a guy, and then and then a person. Um, creates the limits of that rig so it moves in the right sort of way scientifically and is and is can be done can be used like by an artist to move around then we build the skin and the muscles and we connect all the muscles up and then the skin is simulated so it slides over the muscle and the bone and then the fur is attached to the skin 
then the fur is simulated against itself. Then a person literally goes in and grooms the animal with a digital brush and creates all the clumps where all the stuff is. That's their job. They go through and they do all of this really detailed work. And then on top of that, we then have to simulate all of those things together. And then someone makes the eyes so that the eyes have like, you know, a cornea <laughs> and all of the bits that make up an eye and, 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 and the meniscus around the bottom where the water builds up. You know, all of that stuff is manually made. And by the time you get to the end of all of that, someone then says... It's amazing what computers do. <laughs> you know, and it's just talent. It's yeah. just raw talent and yeah. love that yeah. goes into it. So let's go back to demons for a moment. We'll try and put the polar bears aside for a moment and hope that they don't kill us um, as a result. Um, but bringing the demons to life, obviously that is a huge factor of his dark materials. It's the thing that distinguishes Lyra's world, most obviously, from our own. So... Um, you know what was what was the thinking there? Because I think something that people picked up on immediately in this show is they didn't see as many demons as they expected to everywhere at all times in every shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're right. Um... <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. That's a really tough one. I mean, when you come to a show like this, you've got a there's like a number of factors. There's no one answer to why there isn't a demon everywhere. Yeah. Um, so one of the answers is that from a visual perspective, people think they want that, but actually, when you do that, it's really distracting. Right. Mm. The story is like a narrative about you know really complex narrative with incredibly complex complex themes about like children and parents and those relationships and relationships with other children and then like science and religion and the state and parallel universes and bears that talk. There's a lot going on, right? Yeah. Um, and the show is not about like making it into a Dr. Doolittle. Mm. That's not... The, the, the demons are a device that Pullman has made to visually represent the connection between a human and their inner self, their free will, their soul, whatever you want to describe it as specifically. And then across the books, he has different representations of that. So the show, when people say, but it's all about demons, they're wrong. Pullman doesn't think it's all about demons at all. Like, Pullman doesn't like it when there's demons everywhere. He's actually really happy that we haven't put them everywhere. He thinks the demons should be there when they need to say something or they need to show something, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is, is obviously there's a huge financial hit. You've got two choices. We either make great demons or we make loads of not as good demons, (laughs) right? And then what you're doing is... You know, I'm always very aware of this as well, especially with the BBC, because, you know, it's taxpayers' money. <laughs> I'm always very aware that, like, you know, really expensive demons that are in the background doing nothing. Yeah. It's not the smart spend. No. I want, you know, I want to have, like, a long conversation between a bear and a kid, or I want to have Pan have a really emotive performance more than I want to have, like, five extra foxes in the background of Egyptian scene. 
you know, which I understand people were like, you know, I want it. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't our desire anyway. And then the budget limits that. And then the other thing is what we spoke about, which is um, the uh, concept of the choices you have to make mm. in the time that you have. Mm. Yeah. And that, you know, like I said, a book can be a minute can be a chapter. But for us, a minute is a minute. And you've got to choose the relationships you want to show. And I was saying, Brian, that that scene when uh, Lyra comes out of the severing machine and doesn't pick up Pan and give him a hug mm. is because we wanted to focus on the relationship between Mrs. Coulter and Lyra. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Monkey's not in that either. I mean, he was originally, but it's just not the moment. It's not the time. Yeah, there could have been a whole thing. Mm. And, and trust me, the number of times we actually wrote or blocked out entire things that the demons were doing as like a subplot, it's just not what you need. Yeah. The, the way you're describing this is making me think of the difference between the Star Wars theatrical cuts and the, and the Star Wars special editions mm. that we got in 1997, right? Suddenly it's like there's storytelling and working within confines and then suddenly it's like hey I can do anything let's put everything in there and what you get is what's less. largely yeah. regarded as yeah less yeah. it's just yeah. everything it's just like oh you don't know where to look well I'm, I'm a firm believer that resource restriction leads to the best work mm. like yeah. if you haven't got quite enough money or you've got a hustle to get to where you need to go you know like and, and, and I'll tell you what Brian's department <laughs> he's laughing for a reason <sighs> because they perform magic with you know a, lo a lower budget than they would want, but I firmly believe that the magic came because they had a they yeah. didn't have all the toys in the world. Well, I mean, we literally go skip diving every day, so that's where <laughs> most of our materials come from. But that means that you get a new material, which you think this would this is literally just scrap uh, uh, carbon fiber tubing, which was used to ship something else. Well, fine, it's super light; it's not going to break. Fine, we'll cut it up. We'll turn it into this. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's always... <laughs> you're, just gar you're just garbage diving in the back of the... His the dirty materials. <laughs> yeah. 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 But no, but, Do you but, want us to donate some material for the next season? I've got a load of old... Uh, I've got a skip at, uh, in my house with a load curtains. of old rubbish. Yeah, curtains. Great, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, Great. thank Great. you. Yeah, thank no you. worries. <laughs> but, but, I, but, I, I, but, you know, I do genuinely think that when you haven't... You know, like, we had to, to try and make this show, we had to find a way to squeeze every penny onto the screen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's hard, you know, because obviously, like, you know, it's a, it's the whole thing is a business as well, isn't it? And so for us, for Framestore, it was a massive labor of love. Like we literally every penny went on screen, mm. every penny, you know, and, and it was a, a it was a it was a proper sort of passion project for the company. Um, and, you know, we were making decisions that were like, OK, we've got a scene. I need to lose two demons from this to be able to make sure that we can do that extra shot we want to do of Yofa. How can we reblock this scene so that we can get the emotional input? from pan that's required in one less shot right right yeah and you're just trying to go through it and do it how do we do it so it doesn't feel like you know pan just walks on and walks off i mean there's scenes that i'd love to have had pan in like there's scene when lyra eats an egg with yorick mm. but pan wouldn't have done anything yeah yeah and the money goes into yeah. the bear yeah you know so and, and 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 the narratives in the bear so pan would have been wandering around aimlessly <laughs> just like listening <laughs> which just isn't really worth it. Yeah, that's uh, what the that's what the people want, Russell. I want you to go back, and I want you to put gonna, him in every single. Oh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's <laughs> yeah. going to be, and we're going to put the sound effect of all of them, and we're going to make them also. We're going to have all the animal needs. There's going to be mating and defecating <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, what about the the particular issue with with Pan and with other children's demons? Of course, is the fact that they they shift, they transition. So, f from both of you, I guess, how did you deal with that aspect of their lives? 
Uh, from us on set, it was a case of, uh, well, we, we had all the various demons for uh, all the various puppets for all the uh, different iterations mm. of those demons. Um, and then we just try and figure out within the story what is actually important coming from Russ and saying, well, this is a good one for it to transition into. And then we have two puppeteers cleverly. One person runs in with a bird and then hides and another person pops up with a pine marten. You really do yeah. shift on set. Amazing. Literally we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they do. They do a great job of it. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it, again, the other thing that's part of the process of doing visual effects is that you have to do something called post-fizz. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes you do previs, which is you prep the whole thing out in visual effects. And then what happens is when you finish doing a cut, you want to represent the things that you're going to be doing, but in a lo-fi way. And Brian's puppeteers, they're like the cheapest post Yeah. You know, like as in they do a thing and we soft map the puppet out and move it into the clean version of the shot that we got. So they're doing so much stuff to, to, to help facilitate the process, you know, and with, with again, with, with minimal means and a skip. Um, it's apparently. <laughs> um, the, um, but then, yeah, the, the, the shape-shifting is tricky mm. from a vfx perspective i mean i one of my sort of things when i started off on the show is i said i'm never going to have an animal look like it's morphing yeah yeah right when small things become big things and big things become small things it's like Ugh. it's just like they just look like cg really quickly so were you tempted to go have them sort of go poof, uh, in a puff of smoke yeah well we're, we're not a magic show we we're, gra- <laughs> we're a grounded fantasy <laughs> of course of course um so but yes that would have been great um <laughs> it would have been cheaper the um the or easier the um what we Wanted so, so what we did is basically I said they should only ever transform through movement, mm-hmm. right? So there should always be a reason. They should only in, instead of transforming as much as they do in the book, they should transform when something's happening or Lyra's in a different emotional state. Um, and they should only ever transform through a creature that is between the size that you know that's a comparable size or shape. Right. And there's things you can do. So for example, we had a scene where uh, the an Arctic turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, in episode eight turns into a arctic fox when she's on the side of the mountain climbing up and that's just a case of like lining the two up so that in screen space to you know to camera they take up about the same volume and then you can just quickly blend between the two and then they change angle so there's a lot of tricks and like jumping behind people and then, and, and, and i sort of said unashamedly is if we've got to go from something big to something small we're just going to do it behind someone or behind a rock because that's <laughs> better than it looking bad yeah yeah you know because that takes you away from the thing more yeah um and yeah, I'm, I'm pr- a, proud of that decision. I think it's also nice because reading the books, you come up with your own version of how that might look. So then to not be constantly shoving it down people's throats means that they are imagining how it's happening and they are yeah, building that totally. within them. Totally, totally. And, we, and with the demons, you know, like, so um, Pan in ermine form is like Lyra's sleep. It's her default. It's her comfort. It's her, it's like her sort of soulmate. It's like the most, rep- it's the best representation of her soulmate at the beginning, mm. right? Um in the books, it wraps itself around her neck a lot. I just want to say for the record that you cannot wrap an ermine around a person's neck, <laughs> neither physically nor aesthetically on camera. It doesn't look good. It's just weird. It's just a kid talking with an animal like this. Um, so um, the uh, and then the pine martin represents her kind of daring and her slightly wild side. Uh, Moth is obviously for when she's trying to be quiet and be invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, the Arctic turn is inspired by her love of going north and, you know, and it's that kind of free flight. That's another really complicated thing to bring up. Um, and then what you'll notice as well is when she goes north, the pine martin goes away and the Arctic fox turns up. Yeah. And that's because, and, and, and we, there's a little um, Easter egg in there, which is when she goes into the Arctic Institute, Mrs. Coulter says hello to someone and there's an Arctic fox in a chair. 
And that shows this idea that when Lyra sees new animals, she's kind of inspired by them and then has become that. So she's seen this thing that represents the North and then she becomes a thing that she saw later when she goes North. Oh, cool. That's um, beautiful. So, you know, we always, um, you know, and that's, that's like a really nice kind of thing to play with, I think, yeah. that kind of idea of inspiration and in children. Um, so, and then she was a cat at one point. Yeah, sort of wild cat. A wild cat, which again, because of my aversion to CG cats, she isn't a cat very much. Um, she was there for, you know, the, the purpose of, of that scene, really. Um, and yeah, so we picked animals that represented different states and different moods and different things, but we wanted to be with them long enough that you could understand them. And then the thing I was going to say that's tricky is birds. And the concept of distance from your demon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a right. good question. Yeah. So, God, it's so hard. Honestly, it's like everyone was like, I think he's too far away. And it's like, it's a bird. <laughs> it's like, how can you have a cool bird that can't fly <laughs> away from you more than four feet? It's like yeah. on a string, like one of those things you see at like Hamley. Yeah. Like, you know, so, um, so that's really tricky. And so what we did is we just made sure that, you know, we never had demons that were too far away. But with the birds, we just had to go with like it's like birds are meant to represent like people that want freedom and like everything they represent is everything that basically they kind of on paper shouldn't be able to do so we broke the rules with birds and and just didn't look back because otherwise but it's got to be that way as well even with the you know there's there's obviously the story about the dolphin demon in the book as well it's got to be more than six feet i mean that's i mean unless it's in like one of those things they transport (laughs) dolphins in and there's just a guy constantly spooning water over it so there's got to be a little bit of flexibility there so i feel like it i feel like you buy that and we just had to be careful that with the main characters and their demons they were never so far away that the mrs coulter monkey separation thing didn't land wasn't unusual yeah Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is is again it's about emotional separation not physical separation really it's just the visual thing is a visual thing it's like useful because it's like showing a, a a concept yeah but you know again i mean we shot the scene where um in the book where pan um doesn't want to go on the airship with lyra and they and she falls over in pain mm. it just doesn't it just doesn't land visually without like some kind of weird as joel collins would say schmatzy magic Schmatzy magic. This word, schmatzy. Um, you know, you'd had to, you'd, you actually physically have to show something straining as if it's going to break, and we just don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's episode one, and a, and a kid runs away from their pine mart and falls over and says, "Ow." <laughs> How much do you have to slow your episode down to get that idea to across? Explain it. Yeah. You know, and and whereas actually, really, what's important is that Mrs. Coulter has a problem. You know, can separate. Yeah. So I feel like separating separation from demons brings us to the witches, yes. who, who obviously have trained themselves and conditioned themselves to be able to to separate from their demons but that brings up some interesting choices so of course in this show Seraphina Peckler's demon is a goshawk not a goose oh yes so was that something that involved a lot of soul searching and questioning not so much um (laughs) I mean have you seen Babe Pig in the City I have yeah amazing film talking goose right it gets a bit Babe Pig in the City very quickly they're very hard (laughs) like she's meant to be like a cool badass like witch warrior, right? And yes, I understand that. Um, I mean, geese are scary. I, they are, but yeah. they're, 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 they're titled goose game, guys. <laughs> exactly, yeah. unpredictably violent. Um, but you know, they've got to talk, and we had to do a lot of talking, and and you know, also framing. You know, like the long neck. Otherwise, you just end up with like a head and a neck, but you can't like get a nice single shot of them. Um, and it just wasn't the right. It was just like we like it wasn't. This wasn't like it was like a unanimous decision. We were like we should go away from the goose. It's probably going to upset a few people, mm. but we want to make sure that we come up with a demon that works really, really nicely visually, works really, really well when talking, and yeah. doesn't give you any cutesy vibes because that's not where we want to go. 
And I have to say, the puppet that we did build for the snow goose was very cute. So <laughs> yeah, we looked at it and we were like, Meh. yeah, <laughs> ah, <laughs> Serafina. Ah. Yeah, David Suchet is not the right voice for that. Yeah. No, it isn't. It isn't. You need someone whose voice is breaking yeah, yeah. all the time, ah. but, but they're like fifty. Um. Will we go to war? <laughs> ah. So yeah, big problems. Um, I apologise to anyone that's upset by it. I can understand that you have a connection to the material. I've got to. I've got to ask a really stupid question now, Brian, because you just did. You just voiced a demon for us. If you were to give your monkey, you spend a lot of time with this monkey. If you were to give him a voice, what would it sound like? Uh, okay, so a couple of things here. Number one, I do make all the noises on set, and I have a vast vocabulary which um, uh, Ruth actually takes on as well. And she does do things with her breath, and she finds different places in her throat where uh, vocalizations come out. However. Uh, if the monkey were to speak, um, I would not let anyone know what it would sound like unless there is a proper line which gets put into, say, a future season. Um, and solely because I think he doesn't speak for a reason. And if I were to vocalize actually what I think it would sound like, because I have given this a lot of thought and I've time into it and Ruth and I have discussed it at fair amount of length if I were to put that on the table that would be something lost from him at least unless he was making the point of being heard so until he needs to make that point I'm not going to do it for him I know I'm speaking about him like he's somebody else but he is I mean he is yeah. to me he is he is me and he is a different part of me and he is a part of Ruth which I also don't want to give away because that's a trust that we have but the answer is Jason Statham at his most manly. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, yes, that's, that is it. Yeah, James Earl Jones yeah. more so. Right? Exactly. That's the casting announcement has just been confirmed. <laughs> I've always had this like real fascination. I've always wanted there to be like an outtake, which is at, like the very last scene that you see the monkey in when Mrs. Court is really like lamenting and saying like, Lyra. And then the monkey just looks over and goes, I'm sorry, who's Lyra again? <laughs> like the monkey's just an idiot that doesn't know what's happening or who anyone is. <laughs> I'd love it if that's how it finished. <laughs> Should we talk about the bear fight? Yes, yes how please. We, how are we doing for time? You don't need us. You just, you just <laughs> you ask yourself the questions and then answer them, please. I'm here. You're here for me when I when I break. Um, the bear fight was cool. Like that was like Agre- agreed. Yeah, that's like a big build-up scene, and it's like if you get that wrong, yeah, you're really hosed. Um, can, again, can I ask before you get yeah, into it? The on the page, that's a really visceral and mm. violent. What? Yeah, how what early on what what was the decision about like how how far you're going to go in terms of like gore? Because his bloody jaw comes off, man. <laughs> and I mean, it, the idea of punching a jaw off is a little comedy for me. <laughs> oh, really? Like it's, a, punched, it's, a, it's a bit like the it's Monty Python. It's, 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 it's a bit Monty Python, like your arms off. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but I think the um, the I mean, it's a pre-watershed show. It's a BBC show. Um, and it's, um, but it's also an HBO show, which is a lot of beheadings. Um, so we kind of just went with this line where it was just like, you, you know, planet earth is on. Right. So let's go with right. like a planet earth. So planet earth, what they do is they're very clever is that you get the tension, you get the jeopardy, but you don't always see the death mm. and you don't always see the killing. And again, we also wanted to bring, have a lot of that, still have a feeling of Lyra's perspective. Like you'll see as you go through like 
with the bear rampaging through the town, the obvious thing would be to just follow the bear, but we followed Lyra through after the bear. Mm. When you're going through the Battle of Bolvanger, you're following Lyra through the Battle of Bolvanger. When, you know, all of these things, we try and keep a perspective of a person or Lyra. Um, and then, so the bear fight, we did the same thing, and we just thought, actually, you know, so Jamie, Jamie's thought was, you know, like, if we can just be on her face, not knowing whether her friend's been murdered behind her, mm. Maybe that's more powerful than just seeing someone's jaw get punched off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's so that's kind of the from a gore perspective. It, that's yeah. kind of it. I think. I mean, one of the really interesting things is that most animals don't willingly fight to die, fight to the death. Yeah. Like, you know, bears. I mean, they occasionally kill kill each other, but they're not like it's not like they go All right. Let's do this. You know, like <laughs> two men enter, one man leaves kind of thing. It's not that sort of vibe. Um, but it's more a fight to win, right? It's a fight to reestablish. It's a fight, it's a fight of dominance. Yeah. 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 Now we. Um, Making that fight was really, really fun. I mean, one of the first things that we decided, which was Joel Collins's idea, which I thought was brilliant, is, is don't have the bear fight outside, have it in the palace, mm. you know, and make it gritty and sort of like have, have, have boundaries to it, have walls that they crash into and, you know, like make it confined and then put a kid in it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because that's cool. Um, then my push, which again, I'm sure I will be eviscerated for, was to take the armor off. Mm. right because i was like i want to see that they're massive and powerful i want to see all of that fat and muscle jiggling and fighting and i want it to be natural history-ish and we you know we were thinking about like if you were if you were these bears why would you create armor you'd create armor to fight things that weren't you to like to like charge through a line of people or be defend yourself from airships or you know all of these things but if you were having a fight of dominance it would be like weapons down yeah fight so we really like that idea and hopefully people will who knows um, and then when it came to the behavior, what we did is we referenced three things. We referenced the way grizzlies and bears fight in nature. Um, we referenced the way that bears break ice when they slam ice to break it to get to fish. Cause that's actually a very good physical violent thing that they do, but not, not to kill. Mm. And, uh, we referenced, um, the sort of traditional kind of mixed martial arts grappling. Oh, amazing. Um, and, and I mean, there's actually a really great clip of um, this uh, MMA fighter who, when he was growing up, his dad made him fight a young bear. There's a video of it. Oh, my God. So that was part of his training was wrestling with a bear. Um, and it's crazy <laughs> because what you realize is that bears fight like people. They like A lot of the way that humans wrestle is like a bear just wrestles you. It's crazy. They like they like pick your feet and push your hips to push you over. They do. It's mad. It's really, really weird to watch. So we referenced a lot of that. And then to block the fight out in the beginning, um, I wrestled a stunt guy for a while were you there for that yeah yeah there you go it was like world star hip-hop everyone had their phone out i was just filming <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say please share the footage <laughs> it's, come, it, yeah, yeah. it's actually kind of going to be out in the making of we do for excellent um so anyway so we because because the only way that you can design something like that is if you have something to talk about so what we did is we worked out the three beats of the fight i also realized that i had put on a lot of weight when i watched the video which put me into a diet phase um <laughs> it's a bit like oh dear you've really let yourself go russ that, other, that guy you're fighting is incredibly fit <laughs> This is why you should never let people take pictures of you. No, no, it's 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 deeply upsetting. I lost so much self-esteem that day. But anyway, but anyway, so we went through and kind of wrestled this kind of thing out and we worked out all of the beats of it. And you can watch the fight and you can watch that and they just go side by side and most of it stayed in, which I couldn't believe it would actually happen. I thought we were just having fun. Um, and then um, we then sent that off to the animators. That reference of us wrestling became the base for the animators to block out the animation within the set. Um, we also had our previous department called the painting practice. They did this really brilliant um, 
thing where they basically built the Bear Palace as a game engine so that you could be anywhere in it and look around. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we took our animation and we took their game engine and we put them together and then Jamie Childs came to our studio and then did a virtual camera shoot of it. So he could just hold an iPad and film it. Wow. Amazing. Um, And then we then went back to when we actually shot the plates because Joel Collins is mad enough that he built the entire Bear Palace (laughs) as a full set with the exception of the roof and a few bits that we topped up. But he built a Bear Palace. (laughs) Not everyone can say that. Then... um, and what we did is we then had an augmented reality setup that basically live basically tracked where the camera was and showed the cameraman our bears in the set through his viewfinder. So cool. Right? And that's how we filmed a lot of the plates for the background of it. But then when that didn't work, because actually one of the things that messes those systems up is changing light and we had a lot of flickering light. So then as soon as that didn't work or we needed to freestyle, that's when Brian and his team come in. With two full-sized standing rigs, and we had them. Come, we we had been given the um, <clears throat> the choreography for this fight, and we learned it within ourselves. Each person within pairs, everyone learned the choreography for one bear or the other, and then we put ourselves in. So there was about three people on each standing bear, running around this place, making them slam into it. Th- those didn't break. How did those puppets not break? Uh, Monkey is g- broken every day, but <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the difference is is that you have got Ruth Wilson pulling its tail off visibly. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and, um, and yeah, we just blocked it through and, and were able to put it on set so that everyone could actually see it on the day. And, and, uh, you know, Daphne got a sense of what was actually happening and, and even, uh, Joe and Yoya at the time, uh, they both got to see what was happening and. Yeah. And red and, and also, you know, all they were mic'd up so it was loud and echoing in the room so that you got a sense of this thing. We played really loud, mute, like aggressive sort of like soundtrack so that it all just, everyone was pumped up by it. Are we talking about like Rage Against the Machine? <laughs> it was oh, more, yeah. more soundtrack than, than, than right. bomb track. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, the, but yeah, I thought, but you know, again, that thing of like technically like going down a technical route, but always knowing that you can rely on the analog route as well. Mm. And again, without Brian and the team, we would never take the punt on the technical thing because if it goes wrong, we're in trouble. So again, massive collaboration. All right, I think we'll leave it there. Um, Guys, thank you so much. This has been incredibly enlightening. We really appreciate your time. Uh, And well done. Season one wrapped. More exciting things to come. I think you've done an incredible job and I think uh, all our listeners would agree. hope so. Um, I've got to say that, you know, like it's a a labour of love, these things, and and it's, you know, it's the work of hundreds of people. Um, and I just want to say there's a few people I just wanted to mention because I get the chance to now. Yeah, please so, do. So Rob Harrington, Neil Weatherly, all of the guys at Framestore, David, Claire, I'm going to forget people, um, Alvise, Aulo, Sean, Owen, this huge list of people who have all done so much work to bring these characters to life and hopefully the things that people love. So I've got to say a massive thank you to them. Yeah, well, and I think on behalf of CFX, we have to say thank you as well because we would not well, we would just be foam and sticks and people crawling around without you, you guys. And you so. in a skip. And us in a skip, yeah, constantly. <laughs> you need someone to grab your ankles so they can get you out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for diving into a skip for us. We appreciate it. It was a pleasure. <laughs> well done, guys. Thank you very much. His Darker Materials is a stripped media production. Our executive producers are Kobe Amanaka and Tom Wally. The episode was edited, mixed and sound designed by Tom Wally. All our music was composed by John Dix. Our artwork was created by Sam Gilby. Additional graphics and video production by Tom Silcock. Our social media posts were written by Lee Gant. Thank you as always to Spotify for making this podcast happen. A huge thank you to Russell Dodgson, Brian Fisher, 
and to James Cater, Rowan Collinson and Fraser Stapleton. And finally, big thank you to James Carroll and all of the team at North Bank Talent Management. And this podcast was recorded at Soho Radio Studios in London. just heard a stripped media production. 